When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, it feels like minutes since we spoke, but here we are. <laughs> Another of our interview pods, special interview pods, it won't be happening every week. Uh, we felt this one was uh, long enough and significant enough to go out as a standalone episode. Anything exciting happened to you in the last two minutes since we since we spoke to you? <laughs> now I've, I've readjusted my water bottle. That's about as far as it's gone. Uh, that's what's waiting ahead for us in the rest of our lives, Kieran. It's like that's, <laughs> it's like the old joke about actors. Why do why do actors not look out of the window in the morning? Because they have nothing to do in the afternoon. Yeah, it'll be it'll be us going. Well, I won't I won't adjust a hot water bottle now because I'll leave that as a little treat for this afternoon. Um, Hugh Jenkins, Kieran, was the chairman of Swansea City between January two thousand and two and February two thousand and nineteen. So nigh on two decades, and it was two decades of great change for Swansea City on and off the pitch. So Hugh gave us some insight into his period at the club and ends with a blindingly simple idea to resolving some of football's financial problems. Hugh, uh, thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, I need to get one thing out of the way first, Hugh, because otherwise it's, it, it's going to be a big elephant in the room. You are responsible, when I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm blaming you directly for this, okay. for arguably the worst three minutes of my football supporting life. 26th of November, 2016, my dad, who wasn't very well at the time, God rest him, he was upstairs trying to sleep. I ran up to him and said, Dad, you know, we were 3-1 down to Swansea. We're 4-3 up. It's the last seconds of the game. And then I heard a string of obscenities from downstairs from my son. And my dad went, I don't think we're 4-3 up anymore, son. And by the time I got downstairs, not only had you equalised, you scored. You scored. A, you scored a fifth goal. You beat us five four. It was the. T- yeah. I, I can't remember, and it was the only win I think Bob Bradley managed as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that was about one in eleven or whatever it was. Yes, it was a unbelievable game. That with, um, I'm sure it was is the one Lorente scored, and um, yeah, yeah, it was a, a very unusual game. And um, as you say, it was. Um, one of the few we won over that period, but yeah. uh, fantastic game. It, it was almost a, a metaphor for your time at Swansea, Hugh, because there were very, very many highs and some lows. Take us back to the very start, January 2002. Is it is it true that you were offered the role as chairman because you were the dullest one in the consortium? Yeah, well, I, <coughs> that's what I said at the time. Uh, <laughs> I, I probably didn't use the right phrase. <laughs> but but um yeah i think when we when we all got together and and the opportunity was there um 
to come in and and I, I would use the word help probably help the club because yes. um, you know the financial state and 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 you and the state the perception how, how it was in the city was very poor very low at that time and um, and I think we we all felt the supporters you know we had a it's obligation again is the wrong thing but you know mm. there was a need for somebody to get in there and um and try to turn things around and get some positivity back and um out of the small group of people we had who who initially got involved yeah i, I you know i felt um you know I had, a, I had a small background in football and um and and i felt yeah i was quite quite happy to take on that responsibility because somebody had to do it somebody had to make decisions and and um yeah i just i went for it at that time and you know it's 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 at that time it's unclear were we going to be a success were we going to mm. carry on in the same mold as previous you know who knew at that time but yeah i, I took the took the chance and and luckily from that period on we we grew considerably as a club again because people associate Swansea City, Hugh, with, with the Premier League and the Championship now. But remind us where you were at that time, because I was going to say things were turbulent, but they weren't. They were bleak, really, weren't they, for Swansea City at the time? Yeah, I think, you know, you could, you could like you say, turbulent. But it, 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 it was, I would say, it was close to whether we, we could go out of business completely. You know, we wow, could have gone, really? we, we could have easily gone into the, the league below, which is, I think, the conference then, and um, and and who knows, really? I think the the general support in the city um, from all angles was probably at the lowest ebb it's ever been, um, and it could it could it could easily have gone backwards further, really, and, and perhaps never recovered. Um, but um, you know that that was the position we were in at that time, and. Um, and we had, to, as I said, quickly find some solutions to our dilemma and um, and try to turn things around. But it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a bleak time, and the club could easily have gone, you know, the, the other way as well. Yeah, because you were you were one game away from relegation out of the league, weren't you? Did did you have a background in football at the time, Hugh? Yeah, it was a small background. You know, I I grew up. I I I, I was actually on the, the the books of Swansea City as a youngster. Um, oh. I, I I was at Bristol Rovers five or six years and left when I was eighteen. Um, so yeah, I you know at that level, yes, I was. I I always had a background in football all my life, and then obviously the couple of years or two or three years prior to me getting involved in the Swans, I actually run a which which down here is a Welsh league club, you know, League of Wales club, and yeah. um, I got involved with that, and um, uh, and. and Believe me, it's, it's just as hard running a club like that and finding out all the problems you get. Um, but then, obviously, you step up to the Swans and and it starts. It's the same problems on a bigger scale. Nothing changes, and um, uh, you know, and that's that. That's what I just jumped into. And <clears throat> when you took her, the supporters' trust were heavily involved, weren't they? Because I think for me and for a lot of football fans, the, the Swansea City supporters' trust was the first time we really sort of knew. Uh, that that was a model, that that was an option. I mean, as Palace had nearly gone out of business before and our supporters' trust helped raise money for somebody else to take over the club, but that seemed to be the first time that supporters were really, really heavily involved in running a club at that level. Yeah, yeah, you did right. And I think, um, 
and and I can go back I'll go back first my time with the Swans whenever whenever we had problems over the years um, there was never re- really much action going on with the supporters and we probably took everything that come our way and accepted failure and problems as as part of being a Swansea City supporter but but you're right around that time and obviously he was one of the main you know people who joined the board at that time and I worked with right through um, to the Premier League was Lee Deneen and Lee Deneen was um, the main organiser really to get the trust uh, up and running and, and 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 he was chairman of the supporters trust at that time um and i forged a, a great working relationship with lee and, and you're right they they certainly provided you know the impetus for um for change at the club and then and, and, and they were obviously very passionate and and it gave a focal point really to to support us to um to fully start recognizing the problems at the club and, and fully getting behind the club again and uh, and that's what it did it provided that that platform that um you know that 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 we all got behind really and worked together with in in recent years Hugh uh, Swansea have, have developed and brought through some brilliant young managers uh, Brendan Rodgers Steve Cooper Graham Potter, whose name I can say now that he's gone to Chelsea, was that a, a deliberate policy from when you first went to the club that you wanted to give new talent a chance? Yeah, not not first of all. I think I, I recognised that um, you know we, we myself in particular were, were, were new to this, and um, and I think we had to rely on a few people with you know acknowledge that they got great experience and obviously. A couple of initial changes um, I made bringing Brian Flynn in and Kevin Reeves, whose Kevin was 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 great at spotting talent, and and Brian had a lot of good contacts in football and, and a good football background. And I think um, bringing them in and uh, you know they they were experienced, and that was the start. And then I suppose recognizing when um, things might need to change a little bit and. Kenny Jacket joined us, and again, Kenny with a vast experience initially coming from Watford and then being assistant to QPR, and again, loads of contacts in the game and good contacts, good football people. And I think that that put us on the right road to recovery. Um, but then I think in League One, I think there was a, a recognition for us to be uh, to compete against bigger clubs, which Forest and Leeds were in. Uh, League One at that time, um, big money, big support, and and we had to find a way of being, we had to find a way of competing and being different. And I think, I think that was the challenge, and and finding a different way of playing and finding different avenues to recruit and uh, and and then going down that route of perhaps young and up and coming coaches, managers that that. Had a different view on things, and 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 the main reason they, they they were there to probably push their own careers on as well, which you know we went along with that that it was a good way to join together and and, and obviously get the club going. Um, quite early on in your time as chairman, you oversaw the move from the Vetch to the Liberty Stadium, which yes. I think it's fair to fair to say for people that have been to both, were very different beasts. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I assume I assume that was an emotional time for Swansea City fans, but was it a move that you had to make 
in order for Swansea City, as you say, to compete with bigger clubs? Yeah, I think I think that the other main thing I think I touched on earlier, I think the the perception of our club and, and, and the way the Vetch field had deteriorated was um everything everything about us at that time looked a bit run down and and, and out of date, I suppose, and um and it, it it needed it needed something to change that, change the mentality and um and certainly the 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 way that uh, we, we managed Obviously, to move from the from the Vetch to the then Liberty Stadium, um, you know, was was a big platform to provide motivation going forward. And you know, again on that subject, it was fantastic that the the local authority, Swansea Council, um, you know, had the foresight and 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 determination to make sure that that project uh, went ahead and uh, and right through to. You know, to to completing and getting the Liberty Stadium up and running, which was um, which was fantastic for us. It changed the fortunes of the club, the outlook, perception, everything was changed. That now we we had something that we feel we could go forward with. I was there for match of the day two for your first home game in the Premier League, and I would say, in terms of atmosphere, that was in the top five of any game I've ever been to. It was astonishing for me to be in the stadium then what it must have felt like for you and for those Swansea City fans who had been on that I hate to use the word journey but had been on that ride since 2002 that must have been a one of the most special days in football for you was it yeah yeah you're right it's um you know there, there was I suppose there's one thing winning the playoff final at at, at, at Wembley which is which is obviously something we never probably dreamt we could do but we did and and then as you say getting you know bringing Premier League clubs uh, to our stadium and and trying to compete with them and um, you know the the, I think the special focus you get that that you're part of that and uh, and like you said you were there with with the the, the Sky TV or you know and and broadcasting throughout the world just to get all that and, and the fact that that it that is Swansea City taking part in that. Uh, you, you did have to pinch yourself and, and and probably take a take a stock of it to realise that yes, you had you had achieved that and um there was no looking back. You you had done it and um and you you can try to you know stay there as long as you can. Yeah, I, I have to say I was slightly ashamed of myself that day as well, Hugh, because my one of the running jokes on this podcast is that my grasp of British geography isn't brilliant. <laughs> uh, and I, I hadn't been to Swansea for quite some time. And I remember saying to your press officer at the time, I was like, blimey, this is a long way away, isn't it? And he went, not for us, mate. We live here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, well. so, so move forward two years. 2013, yeah. you've, you've beaten Bradford City 5-0 in the League Cup final, the biggest ever victory in the League Cup final. Then you went and beat Valencia 3-0 away in the Europa League. Did you think... We've cracked. We've cracked this now. Swansea City are here to stay in the big time. Was that ever an, an attitude that you you sort of fell into? Not complacency, but you thought this is it. We know what we're doing now. Yeah, I, th- I think. I think. I think. Looking back, obviously, when I finished in two thousand and nineteen, you, you you certainly look back at what went on over the previous you know, nearly twenty years there. Um, and there's no doubt. I, I look at certain times when you when you 
when you when you make certain decisions or you you, you like you just said you, you feel certain situations and yeah the experience I gained is certainly it's certainly it wasn't at that time I think I think obviously we were riding along then and under Michael Loudrup, we had a, we had a fantastic mm. squad of players, and, and and most of them were at their peak at that time, and um, and we were doing really well and competing well. But I think there were, there were periods after that when we we survived uh, relegation once or twice, and, um, and and turned things round again, which which perhaps you do get complacent thinking you can do this every year, mm. and. Um, and it soon comes back to to bite you on the bum, and it things change, and that's and that's you know that's looking back. Um, I, I think I got a lot from that looking back, and, and and perhaps different decisions could have been made along the way. Before we move on, Hugh, to the later years of your uh, chairmanship at Swansea, can I just ask you a couple of general questions about Welsh football? You mentioned the FA of Wales there. It, it seems to me that the relationship of those Welsh clubs who play in England with the FA of Wales is uneasy at best. Is that true? Because for outsiders who are not steeped in Welsh football, it's a, it's a slightly difficult situation to comprehend. Yeah, I, I suppose it does seem a bit unusual. What I would say is, um, whilst I was at Swansea as chairman, uh, we we had a great relationship because because of my background as well with uh, with the League of Wales club for the two or three years. Um, I got to know many of the people well, you know, within the, the FAW, and they rose to take prominent positions. And um, we we had a good relationship at that time with many of the the officers and and committee members that of of the FAW. Um, but I would say I would say this: you're asking that question. There's always there's always opportunities that that we could have worked better together mm. uh, for the good of Welsh football, and I think uh, there's lots that could have been implemented then and now to change things at grassroots level and to make sure that everybody again is running in the same direction with one common aim, which is providing probably facilities for uh, for everybody in Wales to. To get involved in football, boys, girls, you know, everybody, and um, I think those things can always be improved upon. Um, um, but and then your other question, I think this, you know, the, the Welsh clubs were, you know, obviously founder members or members of the of the football league going forward for 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 over a hundred years you now. So I think there's there's a lot of um, you know, past really that that we were associated with Swansea, Cardiff, Wrexham, Newport, um, and before that, I think Merthyr Tydfil and whatever. There was so there's there's a lot of history there, and um, and that's why it probably stays in position as it is today. And um, you know, and I'm very pleased that that is the case. <laughs> well, yeah, well, the, the simple answer to to those people who don't fully understand is that for. The first 50, 60, 70 years of your history, Cardiff's history, Newport's history, there was no Welsh league really for you to play in. Um, but are, are there still or are there diehard traditionalists in the FA of Wales who think that you, Cardiff, Newport, should be playing in Welsh football and not English football? Um, well, there's a lot of people in that in that. Um 
in the in the FAW, and no doubt people got different opinions. Um, we we can go back in time, and it, I think that was a you know a poor time for Welsh football when when those things did kick off a bit, and, and Newport County were nearly threatened with expulsion. I think at that time they had to play yeah. in, you know yeah. play playing different grounds and play out to the country. If I'm right in saying that, yeah. I think it, you I think are, it yeah. is. Yeah, and and then. For them to do what they did to get back as a club and now be competing in a football league again is is fantastic. But as I you know, like you said there, those type of things should never be should never happen. Um, too many things in football these days. People got you know, and I, I, I it's not just Welsh football. I think it's in all football. There's too many personal agendas looking after the, everybody's own interests instead of always looking at the bigger picture. And, um, uh, and that's a sad reflection, I think, in football in general today. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. For those fans in in Scotland, Hugh, who know all about Glasgow and Rain, and, and yeah. Celtic and Rangers, and for those fans in England who know all about the big derbies like Palace and Brighton, is it possible to give any insight into a non-Welsh football fan as to what the Swansea Cardiff relationship is really like? Because it, it's, I mean, fierce is an understatement, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think we grew up and. Um... And there's a couple of couple of things to that. When when I grew up as a youngster, you know, there's always been this, you know, car, there's always been this thing in 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 our area around Swansea that every everything good seemed to go into Cardiff for some reason, and then <laughs> we we always suffered. Um, so that created a bit of a divide, I, I would say. Um, and we grew up with that and, and accepted that, but then we can't hide from the fact we went from from. Many many years as a Swansea supporter when we were were, were rock bottom and um, and the team itself was was seen as a you know as a, as a low league a lower league team Cardiff seemed to have more success so there was it was always that um, but then in recent years I hope you know that, that that myself and and our group that were part of the club's success have at least readdressed that balance and. Um, and, and and we've had we've gained our own success. We've got a period of, uh, you know, obviously longer success now. With with even staying in the championship would it would have been seen as a big thing for us years ago. And and all those things have uh, I think readdressed the balance. And and I would like to think that everybody got a little bit more um, time for each other. You know, and um, and Cardiff and Swansea I think is a little bit more. Um, a little bit of perhaps the 
won't say competitiveness because we all want to win, but a little bit of what went on previously with the, with the two sides has, has, has leveled out a bit and, and we both respect each other. And I think mm. that's, that's, I think, where we find ourselves today. And does the fact as well that the Welsh national team are doing so well recently, does that take a sort of bit of the edge off the rivalry between the two of you because you're both united in, in your support for your nation? Yeah, and you know, and again, going back in time, that never used to be the case. I think there was, um, for some reason, we were never united as as one group behind the national team. But to be fair, in recent years, um, that has grown and and um, and and grown to a position where it should have been, and everybody, you know, as as one body, really supporting the national team, and that's resulted in in, in more success for us as a national team. And um, uh, yeah, and, and obviously the supporters recognise that, and, um, and and it's been good for Welsh football in general. That that that's finally seems to shone through, and and everybody is um, supporting the, the the country as one. Back to your time at Swansea, Hugh. In two thousand and sixteen, the club was bought by uh, a group of Americans. Uh, you continued as chairman. How did that takeover come about? Yeah, we had we had a couple of um, couple of inquiries about possible takeovers um, before before the, the the one that obviously came to fruition in 2016, and and um, just general approaches, I suppose, like like you do find, um, you know, Premier League clubs seem to be fashionable for for people to come and. To look at it, to try and buy or buy into, and um, and we were just one of them at that time. Um, I I I think that the way I'd like to think the way we run the club, that um, you know we were seen quite a good club to to try and to try and get involved with because we we operated quite a tight budget and and and, and financially we we didn't stretch ourselves that much and. Um, Obviously, for for anybody coming in, it, it it was probably a good good position to find a football club in. Hmm. I, I always try and keep interviews on this pod upbeat and positive, Hugh. But I think it's fair to say that the takeover wasn't particularly popular with Swansea fans at the time. Was it the sort of simmering resentment, as one fanzine said, at that takeover that eventually led to your resignation? Um. No, it was. It wasn't. No, it wasn't quite that. While there was disappointment, the way things turned out from two thousand sixteen for myself, um, because we can't forget, like we talked about earlier, the you know the background of working together with the supporters' trust and 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 in particular Lee Dineen, um was a big one, and that changed probably the the way the the club was looked upon and run. But then, I think there's there's a bigger factor that. You know the promise was there that that a deal could and should have been done with the supporters' trust in 2016, um, and that would have gone probably hand in hand with it with a takeover, um, and that would have probably changed the outlook a little bit. But um, you know that that was out of our control at that time, and 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 you know the current owners and the supporters' trust will have. Views why that never, those agreements that were nearly reached weren't reached, and and things took, 
you know, a different different twist and when they are where they are today. So that, so I think, you know, looking back, you know, the you asked a question about me finishing. No, my biggest, my biggest um, thoughts on, on on why I felt the time was right for me to go, and perhaps it should have been more near two sixteen than two nineteen. But but you know, I worked so long at the club. Um, I felt attached to it and, and didn't really want to uh, to go at that time, you know. But I think I think there was a view that um, my my views on whether it was potential managers, whether whether it was um, on the way we did transfer windows or whatever, you know, I, I wasn't getting my um, whether it was my views across, but for whatever reason. The decisions made mostly from 2016 weren't decisions I would have made like I did in the past with the full support of our board behind me. Um, you know, they were changed and, and watered down and, and, and everybody was having a view. And, and I suppose that's one of the problems you find with with, with having takeovers and um, and too many people having a say. It, it, it seems, Hugh, that once you've worked in football, it's it's in your blood and it's very difficult uh, to leave it behind. So were, were you really interested in acquiring Charlton Athletic in 2020? Because obviously as a Palace fan, that's a baffling thing for anyone to do. But it, it seemed that that was a serious, a serious attempt, at least to investigate taking over at Charlton. Um, yeah, there was, there was, the opportunity was placed in front of me. Um, I only had assigned a bit of paper that 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 particular day, um, but I still felt, you know, my my background is is pretty, you know, pretty hard working background, and um, and if I was going to go into something that potentially could could cost a lot of money, and perhaps there could be a lot of money uh, riding on it to make sure that the football club Charlton in particular. Um, again, turned turned around and started uh, at least stopped the tide of lose, losing money. So I think when that was placed in front of me, and and I do you know I did my natural due diligence of making sure that uh, the, the 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 deal was feasible. I, at that time, when it was placed in front of me, I felt it wasn't, and um, I think the risks were too high, and um, and I certainly wasn't in a position to go and waste. Millions and millions of pounds, and and put myself in a vulnerable position uh, to try and turn Charlton's fortunes around at that time. <clears throat> I mean, that's disappointing for Charlton fans because you know our, our local rivalry aside, they they're a club, they're a bigger club than than League. There's there are many clubs you can say that about. I know, but Charlton's history is illustrious. They 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 need to be flourishing. They need decent ownership and it strikes me that you would have been that person can I just ask you you've been involved in football at the highest level for more than two decades what what's the biggest change in football during that time um yeah the the biggest change I think is um it's obviously moving from where we were in in 2002 ish um I think the, obviously we all know, which is publicised many, many times, that the, the size of the income levels have, mm. have, have have grown and grown and grown. And to me, 
my personal feeling is it, it hasn't grown for the better of the game. Um, I think that uh, I spent 20 years nearly in meetings, in football league meetings and Premier League meetings, and and everybody talks about where we're going to get more income from all the time. Every meeting you go to is the same thing. And um, I can go back in, in, in you know my, my football league meetings probably from from the early years uh, and gradually that increased that that you'd spend nearly the whole whole hour or two just just all everybody giving their views how could they get more money into the game and 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 I would be probably one of the very few and I can remember saying this to to Greg Clark at the time when he was there as 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 football league chairman that Never during those periods of time do people actually stand up and start discussing how can we reduce our outgoings. Mm. Do, they, do they ever how they can work together to reduce how much they spend? It's always about more income, more income, um, and I think that's 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 the big change. You know, people are happy nowadays to lose ten or twenty million, thirty million a year in some clubs in the championship, and um, and we used to run a club in the championship and never lost money doing it. And yet, and yet, people have decided that's the normal way to run football, and and um, and in some cases they do the the tests on owners, and it's all about how much money you can you can put in to plug the gaps um, on on spending and overspend, rather than whether whether you can actually can you make this club viable, can you make it sustainable, can you can you stop it losing money? That that never comes into the the the, the director's test. It's all about how much money you can borrow and how much you can you can spend. And to me, it's taking the football in general at all levels, right through to the Premier League, to me, in totally the wrong way. Can I just bring Kieran in here, Kieran? Because uh, that what Hugh's just said there, we've been doing this pod for nearly three years. I don't think I've heard anyone in that time at a senior level in football talk about the fact that Clubs have to reduce the amount of money they spend rather than increase the amount of money they bring in. And that's that's really fascinating to me, Kieran. Oh, I I agree totally with you. In, in any business, if you're not breaking even, you can either get bigger or you can cut your costs. And the culture of football, which which comes from fans as well as often from owners, is that we can spend our way out of the problem, mm. but. If you try that in the championship, only no matter how much you spend, you're still only going to have three clubs being promoted. So 21, by definition, are going to fail with, with that strategy. Um, we saw Middlesbrough announce its results last week, and everybody's going, well, they only lost £20 million in yeah. 2022. And they think, hold on, that's 400 grand a week. <laughs> yeah. you know, and and we're, we're, we're just sitting around and going, yeah, that's not too bad. That's, that's an improvement on the previous year. Think Things are getting better. Um, and, and I think it's now been ingrained into um, football fans that the financial fair play limits are targets. But you know, as, as I've said you know, before on the show, if, if you get a credit card with a, a £20,000 limit, you, you, you don't get a prize when you get to the limit. You're, you're, it's indicative if you've got problems. It seems to be exactly the same with the with the culture of football. And when there's been opportunities to introduce wage caps, as there have been, um, the, the EFL haven't even bothered to hold a vote because there's so much opposition coming from um, uh, owners that you'll never get it, you'll never get it through the threshold. Mm. So, Hugh, with that perfectly sensible attitude that you had, do, does that 
present difficulties then managing the expectations of fans? Because I know at Palace, for example, we're in a, a league that we can't win, which is fine by me because we're in the Premier League. We exist. We twice in my in my lifetime nearly went out of, of business completely. So I'm perfectly happy to have a club to support and I'm pleased that we're in the Premier League. But there are younger fans in particular who go, no, mid-table Premier League's not enough. We need to be spending to get into Europe. And it seems to me that it's difficult to manage the expectations of those fans. So did you find that a, a difficulty for, at Swansea? Um, no, I think I think we touched on, I think working working well with the supporters' trust was... Um, mm. With Lee Deneen was a good one, and um, and I think I think we kept everything in in check, and and, and I think everybody appreciated um, how we run the club. But I would say we we were, you know, we, we never tested. For example, when we got to the, the championship, within three years we got promoted, um, so we never really tested. I, I think I'm right in saying most of the years were always better than the previous season, mm. and. I suppose in football, it, you only get the bit like when we were in the Premier League. You only get people probably having a go and and, and voicing their views that everything is wrong and everything is rubbish when you start losing. And I think I think that that's the that is the nature of of us when we watch football. Uh, we we all want to watch a winning team. And um, and 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 whether like you say about yourselves in Palace, you you, you obviously would like to win more than you lose. And and um, and if that gets you halfway in the Premier League, that may be okay. But I think the fact that we come through the leagues and mostly didn't have a struggle one or two years, I suppose we never really had any um, objections to how we run the club then at that time, and um, and everybody accepted that. But but I still think there's a view that you know we bought players players in from different, bought a lot of players in from Holland, lots from lots from Spain. We introduced new new things. Obviously, new coaches were, you know, I think we had three different coaches in the championship for three seasons, and I think we changed a lot of things. and um, And I suppose that has provided us with a new insight each season, a new momentum, and perhaps that helped us and and the fans settled for that. You know, so there's um, there's a fine line of, of keeping a a tight purse on the football expenses and and and. And then finding the the right recipe for success. You were at Swansea, uh, Hugh, for some very exciting times. Is there one achievement though that you can look back on and say that's what I'm most proud of? Um, well, obviously, getting to the playoff final and final and winning that is, um, and, and obviously Michael Lowdrup's year in winning the. League Cup final and 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 some of the performances I suppose we, we achieved um, when Gary Monk was manager his 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 year in particular going to Man United and winning I think it was two one on the opening yeah. day of the season was you know to actually go there and and, and probably dominate that game and and win two one you know was it was a fantastic achievement so there's probably many highlights along the way and it was all about. Which it is. My background is in football. It's all about not just winning football games. But we 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 try to win them in a in a good way and and an entertaining way and 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 a positive way. And I think those 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 many you know games we won by playing 
our style of football, good a good style of football, and, and competing with the top clubs in the country were were all special to me. One final question, Hugh. It, it's clear to me that you miss the game from the way you talk about it, the passion that you talk about Swansea and about football. Uh, what's next for you then? Are you still looking for a way back in into football in any way, shape or form? Would you like to run another club? Yeah, I'd love that opportunity. Um, you know, but, and again, I'll stress before I'm too old. I need, I need to do that. Um, I still feel, you know, I gained a lot of experience and, and, um, and I'd love to do that. Whether, whether, whether I get that opportunity, you know, I can honestly say I'm, I am not a call of anybody yet to offer me a job. So it's, um, you know, it's, I've been out of football since 2019. I know we've had COVID and, and, and the downtime in football in between, but, um, yeah, I'd love, I'd love an opportunity to get back into football and, um, you know, and try to put some of the things I learned over that period of time in, in, into into operation somewhere else, and 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 even by helping other people along. I think that um, now those those challenges I'm still motivated for, and um, and as you said, passionate for, and I'd I'd love to do them. Hugh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. When you are back in football full time. We'd love to interview you again. But in the meantime, uh, all the very best and a Merry Christmas to you. Okay, thanks very much, boys. Thanks. Kieran, that was all... uh, It was very interesting. Uh, Some really useful insight into how Welsh football operates. Um, He didn't get quite as carried away about Swansea Cardiff as I'd... let's, Let's face it, as I'd hoped... Um, but but towards the end, Kieran, when we're talking about, uh, and I, I I I sound baffled because I was momentarily taken aback by the idea that a, a Premier League football club chairman would be at a meeting of other Premier League football clubs and say, "Hey, lads, there is there is a way around these financial problems. We could we could maybe spend less money." And it seems like everyone looked at him as though, "Who's this idiot? <laughs> we're not going down that route." But it's. Isn't it strange, Kieran, that it hadn't even actually occurred to me? We're so used to the idea of clubs spending money they haven't got that somebody saying, well, let's not do that, it just seems totally left field. Indeed, Premier League wages have increased by 3,226% since football started in 1992 (laughs) with the invention of the Premier League. Um, and uh, revenue's gone up by two thousand eight hundred. You know, and, and you don't you don't have to be Mister McCorber to uh, to work through. Yeah, that means that there's <laughs> the, the the money's just bleeding out of the game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, co- cost control is uh, it's it's easy to suggest. It it seems to be much tougher to to implement because there's always an outlier who will say either a I don't want to comply with the rules or. I will find a way of circumventing those rules. And, and I think that's that's the biggest challenge for football. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution, please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football.
Enterprise of football.